Technology and globalization are uprooting and reshaping daily life. We all sense it, but feel helpless in finding the role we play in these turbulent times. However, my guest, Jillian Hatfield, the esteemed professor of law and economics from the University of Southern California, has laid down her gauntlet. Her book, Rules for a Flat World, is an ambitious re-envisioning of the legal system in order to achieve a more vibrant and sustainable economy to benefit us all. Professor Hadfield, welcome to Between the Lines. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Barry, I'm so glad to be here. You know, this is a book that is so profound. We're going to probably only cover a a small portion of it. But I want to be careful of how I say that word, profound, because I don't want people to be afraid of it just because it came from an academic. This is very clear, but it is of ultimate importance. And I'm going to start with your words. The ground is dancing beneath our feet. That in itself is the reason why you wrote this book. It is. It's So much is changing, and I think so many people are uncertain about change and how things are changing. We have digital cars. We have the end of manufacturing. We have immigration. We have migration. So much is changing, and... When there's a lot of change, people are looking to say, what, what are the rules around here? What, what's okay? What's not okay? Um, and the book really comes out of a place that says humans need a way of understanding how those rules are made, feeling like they're a part of the rules that are made. And if we're all going to move forward together, if we're going to move forward uh, confidently into the future, um, I think people need to be a part of that. And I think we're not doing that well right now. But more than think we're not doing it well, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm calling this a manifesto. I, I mean it because it really is a call to arms. You mince no words. You let us know what's going wrong. And, we're going, and you are demanding in a very academic way. I want to be careful. You're not starting a revolution. As I said, it is a manifesto, though, that we must change the legal infrastructure or we are doomed. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you saw it that way because um, I do feel quite passionately about it. Um, uh, I think it matter, it's something that matters to everybody very much. Um, and, you know, it, it's a system that, you know, our rules in our early human societies are things that ordinary people were involved in. We would stand around under the trees and talk about, was it okay that this guy took a little extra sugar with his tea or that this woman is not taking care of her kids? And uh, throughout most of human history, people come together to talk about those things. Um, But today we're looking at a world where people feel very disconnected from that. And I'm a law professor. I educate lawyers. I love lots of lawyers. Uh, I think what lawyers do is very important. But the way in which we've lawyers and the legal profession have taken control of how we develop our rules um, has has closed us off. So it's a manifesto both for uh, people in law, but mostly it's for people who are not in law to say, please don't let 
this go in this direction without more involvement from ordinary people? Who obviously have much more common sense, as you put it so gently. And like you say, this is not an this is not an anti-law or anti-law no. book or lawyer book whatsoever. But it is a book that is a not only encouraging us to be more involved, it is it's demanding that the legal profession gets into a more market-based mentality yeah. because it is, as you said, so shut off. It is as if you use these words, you're, they're on an, lawyers are right now on an island, basically, making up rules and, and laws that if you ask, as, as you do businessmen, they're saying, these guys don't even know what we really even need. Right, right. So so the, bu- the book really came out of a place for me. I first started thinking about this when I was going through the legal system myself. I was in a, a, a difficult uh, custody situation, but lots of people are. It's not that unusual thing. And I got involved in this system, and here I was, a law professor, someone who um, teaches people about law. I have just about every advantage that you could imagine. And here I was in this system saying, oh my goodness, it doesn't make any sense. It's taken all the money that I have. It's not making things better. It's making things worse. Um, It was a bit like the doctor who gets sick and and, uh, discovers that the medical system doesn't work. I'm the lawyer who got sick and discovered that the legal system doesn't work. And then when I started looking around, I said, you know, it's not just ordinary people going through a family dispute. It's people losing their jobs, and it's immigration, and it's small businesses. And oh my goodness, it's also the big global companies. I talked to people at Google and Cisco and Apple, uh, and they were having exactly the same set of complaints. It's too expensive, it's too complex, and it's not doing what we need it to do. Well, that's what you say, drowning in cost and complexity. And if we're drowning in both, we don't even have a life preserver. If so, <laughs> I was saying, when I was reading this, I said, you know something? If it was complex and cheap, okay, we'd take it, right? right? Yeah. Or if it was cheap and simple, we'd go that way. But it's costly. It's complex. We don't... And even as you said yourself, but as you talked about those executives, that's what they were complaining about. They Right now, the legal system is not caught up to the digitization of the world. That's a big Part of this, things are moving. I I love the line that you say, you know, can you sue a zero and a one? I mean, because that's what, (laughs) can you sue algorithms? No, you can't. But algorithms are making a lot of the decisions. Where are the rules? Who's making them? How are they going to be observed? How are they going to be followed? That's why you call it the infrastructure. It's what lies Mm -hmm. underneath Right. The law. Right. It's, it's, it's underneath almost everything we do. If you're going to start a business, uh, if you're going to decide whether to move to a different country, if you're going to decide whether to get education, the, the sets of rules we have about what will you owe, how much will you get out of the business, uh, how will it be regulated, all of those things we're building on that. So that, that is why I like to use the term infrastructure because infra is Latin for underneath. And it's the structure underneath that we build on. It's a platform. Uh, and we were starting, we were too expensive and complex decades ago in our legal system. And we didn't really fix those problems. And now we're facing this world, as you say, the, the digital world, where so much of our experiences are, you know, they're everywhere and they're nowhere. They're, 
they're ones and zeros, they're algorithms, self-driving cars, um, robots in the workplace, robots in nursing homes. Uh, we're looking at a world that is, is just so different. And so I'm really pretty worried that if we don't figure out how to do it better, um, I don't know how we get there. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. Whether you agree with something or disagree with something, you at least have a common way yes. of resolving the situation. But now, with the infrastructure so complex, there's not even a commonality, yeah. except amongst maybe the inner circle of the lawyers, because right. they're not even, and we're not even talking big business inner circle, we're talking about maybe a small legal inner circle, but it, without that common knowledge and understanding, you're literally letting us know we're not going to be able to move forward in a way that is going to benefit man and humankind. And the concept of common knowledge is a really important one. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's got a formal meaning in, in economics, but here what it really means is that I know that you know that I know that you know that this is how we will resolve our disagreements. And this is how I can expect you to behave. And this is how I can understand how my community is going to treat me. Um, and it, 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 it's actually a very nice point you make that it's, it, it, it really does need to be common. It needs to be shared. It needs to be widely shared that everybody feels they're a part of it. And we have withdrawn our legal processes. Most people hate to hear the word law. You know, most people feel alienated by it, scared by it. Um, just, it's not me. I don't do that. I don't want lawyers involved. You know, we've, we've shrunk it down, as you say, to this small little circle. Um, and I think that means we've lost something really, really very important about human, how human societies work. Will you even give us the example that it doesn't require the siren's wail for most people to obey the law? Mm -hmm. In other words, when we have a common knowledge of the law, 99.99.99% of the world would like to just follow it yes. and go along with it. Right. It's when it is not that way that we get frustrated. We get uh, literally law rage. I don't know what yeah. we want to call it. And the examples you give here, just of the simplicity of how law should be, the first, well, by the way, take the entire Constitution and it's one-tenth of the most recent law passed in, I'm sorry, it's really a hundredth yeah, no. of the most recent law. But you even talk about some of the first regulatory laws. Mm -hmm. They were seven pages long. They were three. The second one was two pages long, I believe. Now we, we've got, what was that line? We, we can't even find out what it is until we put it up for the vote. I mean, what are we talking about? 2,000 pages, not even lawyers can read all of them. So right. our politicians can't read it all. No one can. Right. We're, right. We're, we're literally, it's, it becomes, a, you know what it really becomes? Becomes less law. 
Yeah, no, it's exactly right. If so, if you think about um, uh, the, we need some rules. We need some rules that people understand. And as the world gets more complex, we certainly need to think about uh, lots of different things. You know, the I, I talk a bit in the book about the the gold rush California, and you know, there's fifteen thousand people there digging for gold at first when they first discover it and they can work out, you know, there's five or 10 people around, they can work out a set of rules and lots more people come in. So they have a meeting and they come up with five rules and they say, you have to work your claim. And if you're gone more than five days, well, then somebody else can take your claim. And it's, it's, it's the importance of having something kind of simple enough that we can all share it but still responsive to more compli- complicated, complex settings. And so I, I actually like to think, of, you know, I would get out my iPhone at this point and say, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, your phone or your computer, it, it does very complicated things, but it's easy to use. By the way, the funniest thing we had around the table because I, I always discuss with my, my team and family, which happens to be the same group of people, <laughs> uh, my director and my wife, is... Um, the examples that are are given in these books and there's examples in here which it blows your mind when you actually say them out loud i know that sounds funny but we can't even fathom some of it it's like how did this even get this way yeah yeah. no it's exactly right it's how, how did it get this way? Now, there is a story about how it got oh, this way. Oh, you tell it, by the way. You, you tell it. <laughs> there is. And I, I do take the, the lawyers and our bar associations to task. That's where I'm going next. Yeah. You're not afraid. The yeah. American Bar Association. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've talked to them. I just gave a talk at the American Bar Association. I know there's, there's, this isn't a, a, me beating up on lawyers, but it's, it's trying to say to the people who, you know, the early 20th century, uh, for lots of good reasons, said, whoa, we need a different kind of legal infrastructure. They said that at the turn of the 20th century, the Industrial Revolution. You know, we need something that works better for a national economy, for more diverse societies, for more urban and less rural societies. And they built something very important. Uh, But they also put a fence around it. And they said, this is only for lawyers to talk about. And it's only for lawyers to decide what the rules about lawyers and law will be. Um, and I like to say, like, it's like any closed system. If it, if it doesn't breathe, if it doesn't exchange information with, with the environment and the people who depend on it, um, you know, it heads off in a direction that, that it's not helpful. And, and it's now serving so few people. And this is one of those things you can find agreement from the guy who's lost his job all the way to, uh, you know, the most powerful people in our society saying, this is not working for me. Well, one of the, remember I told you I shared some stuff with my family. The yes. overview was yeah. the complexity. You mentioned iPhone. I was joking with them. I said, she, the Professor Hadfield has something in here about the agree little button you press on (laughs) your iphone the i the agree button and and your words when was the last time you read before you clicked agree and you actually give us an example that someone actually put in the agree system something that if actually was read through i think they earned some money quite a bit quite a large amount of cash and yet it was never claimed until i mean it seemed like it was so finely I mean, I don't know, a, th- 
a million people had to press the right. agree button before right. that it finally yeah. was uncovered. That's we right. have no idea what we're signing no. away when we hit no. that agree. No, and we've done the studies. We know nobody's reading it because we can also take tr keep track of how soon after they saw it did they click. Nobody reads them. You click probably 10 or 15 of them a day. Agree, you know, check, yes, I understand. Uh, and that has legal effect. That has legal effect. And, and uh, I was just actually at a conference with some lawyers and thing is, a lot of lawyers think that's working well. <laughs> and, and I think they think it's working well because, it, you, know, they, you know, companies can say, oh, we figured out what those terms should be. And I'm saying, well, first of all, you can't, you can't read it unless you have a college level, sometimes postgraduate level degree. They're too long and nobody can really understand what's, what's in them. Nobody can read them. And I think that lends to the sense of just being alienated because I think people know something legal just happened, you know, but you don't understand it. You, you said something right on that parallel, but I want to use your exact words because I think they carry such weight. Shrinking the role of humans. Mm. In a certain sense, that's what... And by the way, I'm not saying that's what's happening just due to law. Mm. That's what's happening to society yeah. in general. Yeah. But sh the flattening of information, as you say, when you're dealing with just ones and zeros and, and, and everything is digital and everything is in this amorphous cloud somewhere, not cloud nine, I could tell you that, but it's the shrinking role of humans. That's why I call this a, a manifesto because mm -hmm. you, you, that's what you really want is to that not happen. Yeah. No, I, you used the word profound at, at an earlier point and, and uh, the, the changes we're looking at are really profound. Uh, it's, it's not just that it's bigger and more. Uh, the digitization, uh, yes, is, is, is shrinking the role that humans take. I mean, a lot of people are worrying about what's going to happen with self-driving cars because now you're going to have an algorithm that's deciding speed up, slow down, go around the bicyclist or not. And a lot of those things will get us to places that we want to be. We want to get there in safe um, and, and productive ways. Um, but that's such a challenge uh, to the way we organize our world. But in, in this particular situation, it's as we try to solve one problem, yeah. we really have entropy or unintended consequences coming from the solving of that problem. Right. So, you know, the, the one thing you want us to do is cut back on that entropy. Yeah. No, it, 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 and this is also a part of uh, closed systems. Um, you know, they, again, they don't get feedback, so they don't get the message. Uh, this has become too complicated. This is, you, you know, you're, you're, you're addressing too many of the, the little details. Instead, you've lost, you've lost track of the big picture. Um, and again, going back to the development of, you know, the, the Macintosh and the, the early personal computers, you know, they were originally developed by computer scientists to, to work for computer scientists who knew how to program and could read DOS. And does anybody even remember what DOS is? And, and you know, then it was like, oh, well, what if we had little drop-down menus? What if people had a mouse and they could just point and click? And now we've got, you know, our iPads. You don't even know how to do anything. Just point at what you want. Put, you know, your two-year-old, your six-month-old can probably do that. Um, and, and, and so when there's feedback for a system, 
that says, whoa, this is getting too complicated, I can't use it, then people say, oh, let's see if we can figure out a way to accomplish enough of what we need, but not in a way that's so complicated we actually go away from our objectives. I don't know if this actually ties into it. Maybe it does, but it's a, it's a, a term that I haven't heard until I read your book, and you called it validated learning. Mm, yes. And and I think that somehow that's a relationship to that because what what the way you phrase it, it's learning based on rigorous methods of testing ideas, and we're we're not really doing that kind of validated yes. learning as individuals. Now I think they may be going on in certain institutions, but again, this is a manifesto to make this so that we're all a part of the system and not feeling so alienated. Yeah, so that's actually a term, validated learning. It sounds very academic and lots of academics would understand it, but I'm I'm actually drawing there from a book uh, called The Lean Startup, uh, Eric Ries. um, And he's really taught, this is for the startup community. This is a real Silicon Valley kind of concept. The idea that the way we now build a lot of our companies, the way we build our, um, our systems and our new products and services is uh, don't try and design the whole thing to begin with. Figure out what you're trying to do. Figure out what needs you're trying to meet. Get something out there that people can start interacting with. Get feedback. Iterate. So, so um, Intuit that produces TurboTax, the company that produces TurboTax, um, uh, they use this method internally. Uh, and they run 500 experiments during tax season. Uh, on the you know the way the website is designed, what services are available, how it's organized, how it's priced, to be to get that kind of validated learning, and that's that kind of experimentation, innovation, and feedback that I think we really desperately need in developing better systems for dealing with how we disagree about what's the right way to handle uh, the changes in the workplace, the changes in our communities, immigration, healthcare, uh, privacy. Uh, all these things we care so much about. Now, as I said, I want to get back to one of the key things here, and that is that marketplace. And you, and you use Adam Smith, and, and obviously he's the father of at least the, the concept of capitalism. Right. But he's also the father of a book called The Moral, yeah. uh, you know it well then. And morality yeah. is no longer as, in, I have to say that, morality and virtue, all of those things they seem to also get lost amongst the ones and the zeros. And you seem to be keenly aware that we must bring that back into the system, the yeah. legal system, the and all the rules required right. for this flat world. So, um, yeah, so Adam Smith, the th- uh, of course, the wealth of nations, uh, but also the theory of moral, moral sentiments. Uh, this actually goes back to your, your first uh, observation about uh, common knowledge, because Adam Smith talks about morality in that book, but he talks about it from the perspective of figuring out how we should behave in the world based on thinking about how an impartial observer, so an imaginary person in your head, how is that would, the invisible hand? No, right? that, this is the impartial observer. The, the invisible hand is, is the wealth of nations. Got it, so that's got our it. markets. Okay. But when he's talking about morality, he's talking about we all wish to be judged well by others. And so we should take actions 
as we think, you know, that we think they would be approved of by an impartial observer. And that means like internalizing, how will other people feel about me if I take this action, if I take a bigger share of the cake at dinner, or if I cut them off on the highway, or if I fire them from the job. Um, and that's a, it, that's a very important piece of, I think, we're, what we're missing. We've started to say our rules are just these things that lawyers design and bureaucrats design, often Washington, or if you're in Europe, often off Brussels, um, and they, they're really not part of my life. And so how can I continue, I, I, how do I think about what's fair? How do I think about what's, what's right? And, and if we lose that, we, nobody wants to play anymore. And I think that's what you're seeing. A lot of people saying, look, I don't want to play anymore. Professor Hatfield, I could play with you and discuss this forever. <laughs> our time is up. We did discuss that you will also take part in one of our experimental podcasts where we'll go deeper into so much. We haven't even touched the global aspects yeah. of this yet. So I want to thank you so oh. much, though, for, for joining us. I'm gonna, I want to use your words before I even say goodbye to everyone else. Innovation requires deep knowledge, but it also requires fresh eyes to see a problem in a new light and a fashion in a new way of resolving it. And I am convinced, Jillian, that you have given us those fresh eyes. So thank you again so oh, very much. Thanks. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Uh, it's my it. pleasure. And thank you for joining us. Now I'd like to leave you with these few more words from Rules for a Flat World. Discovery involves belief hunches, gut feelings, and leaps of faith. It involves trial and error, dead ends and failed attempts. It means venturing into terrain that is unmapped. I'm Barry Kimbrick. Venture into that unmapped terrain, for between the dead ends and the failed attempts, you will take that leap of faith and discover what needs to connect with Barry, like him on Facebook and follow him on Twitter at Barry Kibrick. And to contact Barry directly, view past episodes of Between the Lines, and read his weekly blog, visit us at barrykibrick.com. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please subscribe or become a patron of the show at barrykibrick.com to keep it going every week. Thank you.